Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host here at the club. We hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are. And we look forward to seeing you in person again someday in the future at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. In fact, the latest in more than 275 online programs the club has produced in the past six months. You can find all of our upcoming programs, as well as audio and video from our past events and how you can help support our program production at commonwealthclub.org. Now, let me introduce Michelle Miao, a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors and the producer and host of The Michelle Miao Show. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John, and thank you to the Commonwealth Club for providing space for these important conversations. A survey has just been released by the Asian American Advancing Justice, Asian and Pacific Islander American Vote and AAPI data uh, that showed that 54% of Asian American voters will vote for presidential candidate Joe Biden compared to 30% for President Trump. However, Vietnamese Americans are the only Asian American group that prefer President Trump at 48% compared to 36% for Joe Biden. 14% of Vietnamese Americans are still undecided. And so we'll have a discussion today. Why the big, huge support for President Trump? Our panel today includes Vietnamese American voters who are active contributors to their communities and society by politics, civics, advocacy, and education. Let's welcome Dr. Tao Ha, who is a professor at Miracosta College, advisor and associate producer for Sea Drift, a member of Board of Directors for Vietnamese American Arts and Letters Association, also for the Oceanside Promise, and an advisory board member for Asian Culture and Media Alliance. We have Juicy Liu, who's a, a drag queen, uh, winner of Gapa Runway Pageant in 2016, the host of JuicyThoughts.com podcast and activist, the social chair, membership co-chair, and communications co-chair for Bay Area Lawyers for Individual Freedom, uh, and also Balki Vu, who's the principal at Silverberry Capital, former policy advisor for State Representative B.J. Pack, governor's fourth congressional district board member for Technical College System of Georgia, vice chair of DeKalb County Board of Voter Registration and Elections, and also treasurer of DeKalb County Development Authority. Welcome all. Thanks for joining us for this very important discussion. For having me on. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Michelle. You're awesome. Well, you know, I always think, you know, a good way to kick off an important conversation is to get to know all of our panelists better on a personal level. And um, being Southeast Asian myself, part Vietnamese, I always like to tell, you know, the story of uh, my family's migration. And so if you will, please, each of you, we'll start with Bauke, begin with your own family immigration story, you know, and even share with us quickly being politically, the moment you've become politically aware, deciding on a political party, you know, the values, what were important to you, what was shared to you um, and your family. So, Bauke. All right. Well, I'll take it away first then. Um, So my family has actually been out of uh, Vietnam for many years. In 75, we left um, before the fall of Saigon because, uh, and by, uh, U.S. State Department plane. My father's brother-in-law was actually a U.S. State Department official. And then on my mother's side, we also have uh, had uh, relatives who either worked for the Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese embassy here in the States before prior to that, or in some other uh, diplomatic roles. So we left, we came over here through the camps, and I always tell people the trips through the um, Subic Bay and then Camp Anderson in Guam. And then on to Camp Pendleton, which is near where uh, uh, Dr. Tao Ha resides nowadays. Uh, we visited some family here before we immigrated over to Australia. My father had gone to school there in the 60s, so we came to Australia with, some, uh, with a good support network. Uh, I loved Australia. The, uh, we lived in Sydney, and uh, for a family of uh, three boys, we actually had a lot of uh, fun growing up. Came back here really because of a family health issue with my maternal grandmother. So we've been back here for 42 years. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, living in parts of D.C. and then also Texas, but having resided in Atlanta off and on for the last 40 years. Yeah. Glad glad to join you all. Dr. Ha. 
Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I left in 1975 on April 30th, the fall of Saigon. So a little bit after you, Valky. Um, my dad was a pilot in the South Vietnamese Air Force, and he flew C-130 Hercules uh, cargo planes. So we left on one of those. Um, uh, we were in a refugee camp in Guam, and we landed in Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. Um, we were sponsored at, by um, a family in San Antonio, Texas, and from there we moved around the country to Knoxville, Tennessee, then Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and then eventually settled in 1978 in Houston. And I grew up in Texas um, and lived there until 2004 when I left for my first job in teaching um, and then made my way to Oceanside, California in 2007. So um, I, you know, my heart is uh, somewhat still in Texas, although my political awakening was, I don't know if there was a moment, but I grew up in a very uh, religious family. We were Baptists growing up. And so I felt very um, suffocated by a lot of the restrictions. Um, and so I remember taking a world religion class and that kind of just like, <laughs> and um, so uh, I think I've been very progressive ever since. And um, I love that we're on this program talking about Vietnamese Trump supporters because my parents are. And so that is a a personal <laughs> endeavor uh, through family relations. So I'm looking forward to this very much. Thank you. And Juicy. Hey, um, so yeah, my parents actually um, met at Eckling's Air Force Base in Florida. So um, they, uh, my mom actually escaped off of the top of the embassy building. She was working for the State Department as a lawyer and kind of aid worker. Um, and then my my dad actually was a helicopter pilot in the South Vietnamese Air Force. So I bet my your, my dad probably knows. They know each other because they all know each other. They had social networking before there was social networking on the web. Um, it was called the phone. <laughs> so my um, so my dad and my mom met actually at refugee camp at Ecklings Air Force Base. Um, my mom actually went to Chicago first, uh, you know, settled with the Jewish Family Services um, because they basically would um, give you money for a you know apartment and then just kind of like bye, good luck, you know. And then my dad actually was sponsored in Florida, um, but then you know they he eventually made his way to Cal uh, Chicago, and then I was born in Chica Chicago area, moved around my whole life. I'm the only child. Uh, ended up in Texas also, uh, in Plano, north of Dallas. Uh, so, uh, but I did live in Georgia at one point in Gwinnett County, uh, in Lawrenceville. So I've been all around. I, I lived in New Orleans. I, you know, you know, now I'm here in San Francisco. Um, I feel like my political awakening came in, uh, actually right after, uh, it was 2000. It was the Bush v. Gore, uh, decision. And, you know, it was my first, I was 18, my first time voting, um, and then I was like, what is happening? And uh, then there was the Dean for Texas campaign. I jumped on that. Uh, but I didn't really, really awaken until actually um, uh, Obama in 2008 uh, was, you know, I was, after, that was, I had just graduated law school. I, you know, was working on a big firm job. I was like, I'm going to make a big co contribution because I can. And I was pushing for Obama's uh, election, which was amazing. But also I was here in California and it was the same as no on Prop 8. Uh, you know, Prop 8-1. <laughs> that was kind of a bittersweet moment. I really feel like it, my my political awakening has always been tied with my queer queerness and um, being queer and Vietnamese, you know, growing up wasn't, um, there were no role models. And so um, it, the two had always been tied. Uh, and then the, part of the reason why I went to law school. And then I just sort of, you know, kept going <laughs> as an activist from there. So um, I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation um, as I'm also the chair of GAPA, the Gay Asian Pacific Alliance uh, here in the Bay Area. And, you know, this kind of conversation is much needed, especially for our queer trans Vietnamese people who are probably living at home with Vietnamese Trumping Trumpers. Sorry. <laughs> so. Well, Dr. Ha, you, you mentioned that uh, your political views differ from your parents. So kind of that, that question for Baoki and, and uh, Juicy, are your views in line with what your parents were? Are they different? Have they shifted over time? I mean, is there any difference there generationally? So, you know, actually, I first became involved uh, with the college Republicans in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. 
And back then, first of all, the Republican Party was, uh, especially on college campuses, it was slowly gravitating from being fairly democratic over to the Republican side. It was based on ideas, free trade. It was based on Ronald Reagan's ideas of free trade, uh, pro-immigration, right? And, uh, and, and talking about the globalization that's taking place in the world. So that was the natural gravitation back in the early 90s. And, uh, and that's how I was able to work on a couple of these campaigns, which uh, crescended in you know, me being uh, uh, nominated by George W. Bush to be on a presidential commission in his first term. But then I started seeing the type of Tea Party sentiments, anti-business, anti-education, anti-science. And then I guess in the late uh, decade of two, the 2000, 2010, uh, I, you know, it, it, there was some dissonance already in how I was feeling. I mean, I, I've got two, two younger brothers and one was a, a former naval officer. You know, he became involved actually in teaching over the uh, San Francisco Unified District, right? And then Leron moved up to Seattle to work for the Gates Foundation. He's like, wait, this Republican Party, it, it doesn't make sense, you know? Uh, so, so that's when I noticed that uh, instinctively, I too wasn't uh, going to, you know, um, wasn't feeling great vibes with it anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think obviously 2016, that did it. I mean, uh, it was a complete, uh, well, it was certainly a break from Donald Trump because I was actually on the Electoral College in 2016. And uh, I, I was nominated to be on the Electoral College by the uh, folks within the Georgia GOP uh, at a point in time when Donald Trump had not, you know, taken the lead. So my, uh, my, my support was for Governor Bush, Jeb first, and then Marco Rubio. Uh, and lo and behold, you know, I, I wasn't going to stand for Donald Trump. So that's when I just said, forget it. Yeah. Which reminds me of the Peter Sagal joke that the Electoral College is the worst school since Trump University. Um, Juicy, how do your politics differ or are they the same as your parents? Or did you kind of get it from them or did you, your political awakening was that your own? Yeah, actually, you know, growing up, my parents never really talked about politics. Um, all they really talked about was education, 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 um, study hard, do well in school. Um, this is how you will succeed in America. Succeed, you know, success is very important. Um, and then, you know, help the family, make it, make the family proud. Um, but I, I would say I first started talking to my my parents about politics, you know, after law school. And uh, I didn't know my dad is a Republican and my mom is a Democrat. And so they're split. And so, uh, and they're divorced now. So, you know, that's something. Uh, but, you know, I tried to talk to my dad. I actually, in preparation for this meeting, I was trying to talk with my dad about it, but he doesn't like to talk about politics too much. It's weird. It's this whole, you know, I am the father. I know what I'm doing. You know, I know better, you know, and my uncle is like this. My So my mom's brother is, you know, a much uh, older brother, right? Uh, he's a definitely Trump supporter. He's in Southern California. So whenever I read Orange County um, Trump supporters, I think of my uncle, Gauchin. And um, he is just, I don't know what it is about it, but um, he's so far into Trump land and he's so excited about Trumpers. And I, I just sort of like, uh, and, he, and also he sees me in drag. He knows that I'm a drag queen. He knows that I'm an activist. He knows that I kind of, I'm out there on the streets, like organizing and stuff like this. So um, it's kind of this weird, uh, you know, like, but I talk to my mom all the time and it's just, you know, um, my mom thinks, you know, it's just talk about the Vietnamese uh, <laughs> refugees allegiance to the Republicans uh, for decades now. And so it's just, um, it's just sort of this, I, and I, and I talked to my mom about it. I was like, I think they need to understand in Vietnamese that, you know, for me, at least my understanding of the GOP is not right now, they're not in the best interest of the Vietnamese American community. So that's a good segue to a question. Um, we'll begin with you, Dr. Ha. I mean, Bauke did uh, a very brief overview of why the Republican party then might've been, uh, enticing or or at least, you know, uh, of interest for first-generation Vietnamese Americans or uh, immigrants, you know, to be a part of. Why are your parents supporting, you know, President Trump? Some of the issues that Bauke had brought up, you know, the then Republican Party were pro-immigration, free trade. I mean, I, I, I could see a little bit of some policies or issues that, you know, President Trump, um, that might be a good thing for Vietnamese American voters, first generation, but immigration. And let's start even just talking about that. Um, it's a huge difference. 
Why do you think your parents are, are pro-President Trump? Well, um, number one, China as an issue. So it's a very, it's the number one uh, reason to state why they support Trump. Um, and, you know, Vietnam as a country itself, there are Trump supporters in Vietnam and they have um, social network groups and pictures and, and a fervor. Um, and, and you know, the um, myths about or the narratives about Trump being tough on China um, being a businessman, so he knows how to do trade policy, um, and um, you know, so the, the fear of socialism, which is attached to Democrats, Marxism attached to Black Lives Matter, um, this, these narratives that have been created and are uh, widely perpetuated on Vietnamese media, YouTube channels, um, newspapers. Uh, so kind of f f uh, fomenting like fear, a very real fear. And I think it draws back to Viet the Vietnam War itself as a trauma, uh, a legacy of trauma for our first generation um, uh, family members and, and, and community. Um, and so you'll hear also comments about, well, you don't know communism. We lived through it. And um, it's awful. It's horrible. Ho Chi Minh is, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, uh, so, you know, comparing him to Hitler, <laughs> I've heard all of that. Um, and it's not just, you know, my parents. It's very common to hear the sentiment. And recently in a conversation with my parents, we talked about the generational gap because they were sharing with me, well, you know, so-and-so's kids did the, uh, you know, are against them too, and so-and-so, and so-and-so, and they started to list all these aunties and uncles who have kids my age and um, are rejecting their parents' um, uh, I, you know, political affiliation. Um, <laughs> this one young woman, she's 19. Oh, no, she just turned 21. I remember get, getting to know her when she was 19, and she recently told me that her grandparents – who are in their 70s, Vietnamese Americans, uh, asked her to help them register to vote. And she said, well, it depends on who you're voting for. <laughs> and they said they were voting for Trump. And she said, well, I'm not going to help you then. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I think I touched on some of those um, broader themes that are, are uh, reasons why we have uh, that, that, that gap. At Balky, I think you're the natural uh, person to go next to kind of. Thanks for thanks for highlighting my age. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, what I meant from that was just because. Um, uh, first of all, there's a great opinions piece that you wrote, uh, and, and I think that was is that on CNN or. Yeah, so I, I tell you, um, CNN, it's it's great. Thank you for uh, alluding to that. That was a piece they wanted me to uh, contribute to because. I had tried to write this from a political uh, operative's perspective. And so there was a piece I wrote earlier where I emphasized two things. One was, I think, uh, to use the proverbial term, fighting the last war, I thought it encapsulated what the older generations are going through, right? They lost the war. They had to find someone to scapegoat, okay? And then the other thing was, uh, and I have a professional mentor who used to say this to me, he says, the wish is the father of the thought. You wish something and you'll find everything in order to back up that story, right? So what, what uh, Tao had mentioned is basically China. Uh, and then also the perception that the Democratic Party had betrayed the South Vietnamese government in the 70s by... And who can blame the who can blame America in the seventies? You had high inflation, you had high oil prices. Where do you spend your money? Do you spend it on internal issues, or do you spend it on a war, you know, ten thousand miles away, right? So, uh, so those are the two issues that I think uh, have have not been able to the, the seniors have not been able to get over that. And today they still fight the last war because why? I mean, you know, my parents look. My father was educated in Australia. Uh, and, and yet they fall into this trap of reading the same news cycles that Tao and Juicy have noticed. And it's, it's hilarious because some of these things, you wonder where do they get it from? And I think that the, now I will say that there is hope because uh, like recently when I've been going on air and actually confronting some of them about it by 
raising up, you know, Donald Trump uh, accusing Barack Obama of, you know, of a fake birth certificate, right? And a doctored Kenyan birth certificate of all places, right? These are the things you have to call them out on. And if you don't call them out, they all, you know, they get into this frame where they think they can bully you. Well, heck, you know what? It's time to fight back, right? Uh, yeah. Do you see anything, anything to add to that? And kind of, you know, we just softballed it, but um, thoughts and opinions on why the support for President Trump when, I mean, personally, I don't feel that he's representational of the Republican Party that Bauke had described, you know, way back when. I think that it's a in a very extreme difference. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, what it is that Trump is really good at is instilling fear into people and then saying, I am the solution. I can solve all your problems and be very like simplistic about it. And, you know, I need, I am strong on China. He always says this, like Trump always says this. Um, when, when in fact it's like Trump, uh, you know, has all these tariffs that impose, you know, consumers, <laughs> we, we're paying the taxes, but so there, it's just Democrats have a, a issue about like communicating a message like that, that's as simple as I am strong on China and like, you know, vote for me, I will solve all your problems. And I think like a lot of Vietnamese Americans fall into the trap of just thinking, okay, you know, we hate China. Sorry, there's this long-standing thing about China. We don't like China, and so uh, he's strong on China. And okay, great. Um, and he's like, a, he hates communism. Maybe I don't know. He because just China. He's seeing China, China, China. You know, um, and and communism is very strongly tied to China. Um, and so you know, there's just that natural you know ease of sort of. I don't have to think about it. Um, and then, then the Democrats, the other thing is my mom, I remember she said, I'll never forgive Jane Fonda because she was with the communists in the Viet Cong. I mean, she talks about, this is like 40 something years ago and Jane Fonda is a super liberal. You know, and so the Democrats are all communists. So like that's basically the, the message that they hear. And so like, how dare you, you know, like I hear this, I talk to, you know, I do a lot of phone banking. I talk to Vietnamese Americans in Pennsylvania. A whole bunch of them are undecided. If you, if you want to try to make a difference, Pennsylvania, Democrats, they're, they're doing a lot of phone banking, but um, Viet's for Biden. Um, but yeah, it's ridiculous how how many like young people are kind of like, all my parents, you know, are thinking about Trump, voting for Trump and yelling, and they're, they're screaming at each other, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, I hear the stories, it's like, oh, how, how dare my daughter, how dare my son um, vote for a Democrat, that means the communist, you know, it's this very simplistic thinking, and it's not very sophisticated, like, policy-based arguments, as far as, like, why, you know, why I'm a Democrat, you know, versus a Republican, and I think that's, that's a big part of our community, and then it's just people talking to each other, and then they just listen, they just listen to whoever's speaking in Vietnamese, and as, as, if it's truth they don't bother to like look at the facts and you know and and donald trump you're right you see because donald trump he's trying to frame this as a struggle between communism socialism versus capitalism and i'm trying to explain to these folks is actually about democracy versus the autocracy right has nothing because socialism communism joe biden and kamala harris they're not fighting to own businesses they're, they don't want governments to take over the businesses. In fact, it's only, and I, so I would phrase, and this is where I think we need to fight back and say, all we're asking for is a more compassionate form of capitalism, right? Because we can see where it can be fixed. It's just like Obamacare. It can be improved. We're not talking about overthrowing the system right here, but the, the Viets are crazy because it gets into that loop of, oh my gosh, you know, here we go. It's communism again. It's, Half of these folks don't even know what socialism is when you explain it to, to them, right? One of our uh, viewers writes, uh, my mother, who is a Democrat who voted for Hillary and hated Trump for many years, is now voting for him because of his toughness. Um, well, this is kind of a number you've done this in one way or another, and that is the media that Vietnamese Americans are concerned um, you know, if they're conservative, maybe they're they're going for the the usual Fox or for other things. But um, are there Vietnamese specific media that are being consumed, whether it's print or online? And what sort of political affiliations do those have, or what sort of ideological bent do you see in those? Um, anyone who can answer that? Let me start by just saying that I think with the internet, the internet is merely another medium of communication, right? So nowadays you have all sorts of stuff, whether it's on the right or the left. Uh, what I have uh, received 
and this is over really about 20 years of having been involved in the communities, is the fact that you have the you have these manufactured you have certain personalities now that take their news from a certain place and manufacture it based on what they see from Newsmax or from Breitbart. And then they inflame it even further. And then it gets distributed widely through YouTube. And then at home, you've got these seniors sitting around, you know, and, and they're going to, they're not going to watch uh, a, a Fox. Sometimes they don't even watch a Fox. What they'll do is they want to watch something that they can understand in Vietnamese. Right. And so it's easy to gravitate towards something that's sensationalized, you know, I mean, who would have thought that, you know, I've got an 85-year-old uh, uh, father who is an electrical engineer by training who actually, you know, has written books. And suddenly he's falling into this trap. And, and the funny story is this. They will also not be aware that even the, the, the sales job, the con jobs they get from stories about how the society is going to collapse and they need to hoard gold. So my father, three years ago, while he was on a vacation with my mother and my siblings down to South America, I found out from him that, or not from him, but I was taking calls while they were away. He had decided to go out and buy a bunch of gold, physical gold, and he's got to figure out where to store this. <laughs> and that's the type of mentality you have now. Again, this is, we're talking about somebody who actually was educated over here, buying into this loop, these loopy stories, right? And so my generation, uh, my cousins, my siblings, they're wondering, we, you know, and, and we make fun of it because my, uh, you know, we'll say, well, uh, oh, okay. My mother called me yesterday and said, oh, uh, somehow the TV volume's not working anymore. I, and, I, uh, and I texted my brothers and my, one of the brothers said, hey, you know what? Maybe they've had Fox News on so loudly it went out. So the other one said, well, let's not try to fix it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to add to that because um, I'm part of Pivot, which is the progressive organization, for Vietnamese organization, and they created a Vietnamese fact check um, online because there's such a there's such a problem of misinformation on Vietnamese, like uh, Vietnamese language in language on YouTube. Just to add to that, like there's basically like the equivalent of Alex Jones in Vietnamese spewing like Infowars type craziness and, and and people in the Vietnamese community they just take it as truth because hey it's on YouTube so it must be true basically because it looks nice the guy speaking is handsome and speaking really good Vietnamese like basically that's that's the measure you know like there's no other measure and so like um, Pivot I'm really proud of the work at Pivot and um, I know a lot of folks who are founders and you know Dr. Tung Nguyen and here in San Francisco um, Viet Tan Nguyen's um, brother uh, is very is the president and um, it's just it's an organization but I feel like we're behind the we're behind the game already. We're like losing because the progressives are just sort of like we're trying to react and we're trying to raise money. But it's like there's this whole other machine that's been going on for decades, and it's very hard to it's hard to combat. By the way, hey, uh, ha, I mean Tao, you know, uh, is Vela the letters and arts? Isn't that affiliated with Isale and Hao Nien Vu? Yes. yes. Okay, so Hao Nien is actually a psychic cousin of mine. Oh, okay. Wow, we're all interconnected. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure we're all, including you, John. Um, uh, <laughs> Dr. Ha, did you have anything to add to that before we go to the next question? No, that's very thorough. But just also yeah. how um, algorithms work, you know. So once you're into a network, it feeds you all of the common threads of the similar types of stories. And so it's a feedback loop, an echo chamber. Um, and, you know, they see, they'll see another version, another video, and it kind of confirms the bias even more. So, um, you know, it's that Kruger-Dunning effect where, like, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> you think you know, but you don't really know. Um, and, and so it's a psychological uh, place for folks to – it's a very difficult place to break um, someone's views because it's now deeply rooted as, as confirmed for them. Yeah. As John mentioned earlier, a, a comment from our audience, please do send us questions or comments and we'll try to get them to our panel. Um, uh, the, I wanted to go back to, you know, I brought up immigration and it's hard for me, you know, the image of the kids separated and a lot of the folks seeking asylum from Central America, <laughs> because some of those images are the same images that, you know, the stories that many of the people in 
South Southeast Asian communities have told. And so I'm trying to reconcile and understand um, how some folks can say, well, you know, we're, we support President Trump because of his immigration policies, knowing that, well, when our first generation had to escape their countries, you know, they've been displaced because of U.S. involvement in the politics. And this gets really complex, because especially when you want to talk about the Vietnam War and countless folks uh, who had depended on the United States from, you know, Vietnam uh, regarding that war, um, the, the legal path to migrate to the United States has to be created. And there, if there is no legal path and that person isn't able to migrate and they're, they've become illegal, how do, you, how do you as a voter now, you've been given the opportunity to come, and I'm just asking this to see if you've even had these conversations, these hard conversations with your family members that, you know, that's, that's – um, hypocritical like i mean you're you're (laughs) just because you've got you've gotten here but then you're going to you know say well those people are are not they've come illegally they shouldn't be here uh i'd love to hear from all of you how you've talked about this with folks who might be supportive of the president's immigration policies who'd like to go first (laughs) oh boy why don't you guys take it? Okay, I'll, I'll go. I'll go. You know, the one of the common um, responses is that we came here legally or we came here the right way. Um, and, uh, you know, so again, back to um, fear mongering and back to um, uh, types of information that get simplified is that these folks are here, you know, the wrong way. Why don't they come the right way? Why don't they come the legal way? And so to understand what that means politically, policy-wise, structural-wise, that's a very complicated immigration law. And I think you could speak to this, Juicy. You know, it is complicated and it is absolutely different um, from the 70s into the 80s when we had, uh, when Reagan was president. And he was pro-immigration, as Bauke um, mentioned, and he, he was even willing to um, grant amnesty to the undocumented uh, folks here in America at that time. And so his immigration reform was was about um, granting citizenship to folks here who were undocumented. And so to understand why they were undocumented in the first place, you know, you said the words very well, Michelle. It's like, how do you make someone legal or illegal or illegal? Right. Inherently, we are all human beings. So, um, you know, the millions who were undocumented became undocumented when the Bracero program ended. Right. So before the Bracero program was it existed and they were here legally working, it ended all of a sudden, boom, now they're illegal. And so how do we create this pathway to citizenship for them? And yet then, even when we had those laws, we um, the 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 politicians who were influenced by business watered it down so that corporations were not, um, you know, they weren't, it was not a way to enforce them from hiring undocumented folks. So they continued to employ these individuals. So I'm talking about this very complex system and um, our, our, our parents and, and even a lot of us don't understand it um, uh, well enough. It's not in our wheelhouse. And so the simplified way of explaining it, like Juicy said, is to just paint this picture of fear. They're here illegally. They're taking our jobs. They commit crimes. Um, they're gang members, you know, MS-13 and Colombian drug cartels and all of that um, uh, politicized uh, fear mongering is a very real thing and that and and then it also separates it's a, a way to dehumanize these individuals as separate from ourselves um, and so that we went the human it was a human rights condition for us we were trauma war inflicted um, escaping communism and these people just want to come for jobs yeah I mean just to add to that and and thank you for bringing that um, dr ha because uh, it's it's so incredibly uh, mind-boggling to me when I hear like oh but we we had you know we were escaping communism we were fleeing like a war-torn country and these people just want to like take my jobs or take you know you know raise you know 
take all the services and everything like that. Um, we have to realize that America is has a very complicated immigration story, and especially with Asian Americans, and and we are now in the you know. 2020 era, but like this has been happening since, you know, the China, the Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, when they specifically said no Chinese, you know, like, sorry, in the 1800s, no more. And they had all these racist things in San Francisco, like people throwing, it's just nuts. I, le- I learned so much watching PBS, that Asian American special. Um, fast forward to the, you know, the 40s and 50s with the anti-Japanese sentiment and the second generation Japanese Nisei Americans kind of being, you know, Courted off to you know the concentration camps. Um, that you know now we're here. Se- I'm a second generation Vietnamese American, and I think we are now having our moment of like a real re- like a real reconcile- uh, reconciliation of what is our immigration story and how are we going to identify ourselves as a community and what do we stand for? Do we stand for freedom and um, liberty and justice? And all the things that all my my father loves freedom in the you know liberty justice, but then we don't give that to people who are trying to escape like you know Syrian refugees or like the, the authoritarian regimes or all the you know the the people from Central America that are trying to escape all the, the violence of gangs and everything. No, we don't give it to them. It's just weird for me. But they don't like to. They don't like to. It's, it's this very simplistic argument again that um, Dr. Ta, Dr. Taha uh, mentioned. Um, that it's it's. I think it's now. This is up to us and everybody speaking right now uh, and everybody listening. Um, this is our moment to really like write the write the ship and, here. And, and at its core, really, when you think about. Vietnamese and the broader Asian Americans who have come over from Asia. When you think about the boundaries we have over thousands of years of uh, of existence, we too are xenophobic. When you think about it, right? I mean, even if you were raised in Vietnam, then you look down upon the uh, 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 you know the Amerasians, for instance, right? Or you regarded the uh, mountains, the Montagnards and so forth as second-class citizens. So I think uh, what Donald Trump speaks to is already a strain of xenophobia that's inherently in the psyche of the Vietnamese, right? I mean, what, what, is, uh, what, what used to be – I think it's just that level of homogeneity that was already existing in our culture transplanted over here. And so that's where I think, you know, this generation, we've been thrown into the melting pot and we're able to, 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 to um, acclimate ourselves much more quickly than they could. Yeah, I'm going to get to the, the acclimation. Um, uh, one thing before John asks his question, going back to this conversation around immigration, you know, over 120,000 Vietnamese uh, refugees came to the United States, and in my opinion, due to the failure of the U.S. government and the politicizing of the Vietnam War. I mean, we went through what five presidents in you know during the Vietnam War in the last three between um, President Johnson, Nixon, and Ford. You know, somewhere in between Johnson and Nixon. Um, we had, I, I, I find that there was a heavy politicizing of the Vietnam War. And so it's conf- and you can't really say that, that it was the Democrats' fault or the Republicans' fault. But in the end, America failed Vietnam. And we had to put those immigration policies in place for the hundred and some thousands of folks who had to come. But we also lost, you know, nearly 60,000 lives, American lives, three million Vietnamese lives and countless other people who were trying to escape Vietnam during that time. And so where I'm trying to go with that is that I think that there's a lost narrative. If, if your parents or your grandparents today feel very strongly against a certain political party, um, you know, I, due to what yeah, the immigration policies or the Vietnam war, I think that there needs to be a whole lot of clarification on what actually happened and placing blame isn't helping us today when democracy is is a uh, is is at risk right and and so anyway i just wanted to make that point is that also when we talk about us involvement in other countries and why people migrate here um we're getting caught up in these false narratives 
And then to make it worse, you have a president who has an anti-immigration administration, very anti, and is placing folks like Tony Pham as a interim ICE director in which people then now were pitted even further against each other and saying, you know, these, we can come up with policies that make good and not good, you know, immigrants of some sort. But I, I, I don't want to speak for Tony. I don't know, you know, you know, where he's going to go with his, his, uh, his new position. And at the same time, you have a person who can speak strongly about refugee experiences for an administration that is actively deported, you know, Vietnamese people. So here we are. Tony um, speaks for himself. <laughs> Tony Pham speaks for himself by accepting that position. That's those. So that's how he speaks. He's speaking volumes by, by accepting that position. So I just want to clarify that. And I want to follow up a couple of things. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the notion that, um, the U S is, involved the US involvement in the war in Vietnam and all of the other countries and the the wars that that, that have have uh, come out of uh, American interests and so that is one view but the view from Vietnamese refugees is well America saved us they took us in and there's this refugee debt right uh, uh, identity um, that we have to have great we have to be great, grateful um, there's a sense of gratitude for uh, being accepted into this country, um, for opportunities in this this land of plenty, and so then the "Make America Great Again" or nationalism and patriotism falls in line with that um, thinking, uh, and and that to critique America is to be ungrateful, right? And so that's another uh, gap in 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 our in the generational understanding of how we even think about Vietnam um, America's involvement and. And America's uh, relationship with us as Vietnamese refugees. We have a, a viewer who comments, my parents won't believe that Trump Republicans want to deport them. They say that can never happen here. They don't know about Japanese internment or the Chinese Exclusion Act. Um, Donald Trump is probably a unique president <laughs> in many ways. Uh, but uh, Belki, you were kind of talking about how losing disen- becoming disenchanted with the Republican Party even before Trump. Uh, so what I, I'll start with you, but the question will be for all of you, which is, do you think that older generation or generations of Vietnamese Americans who have, have, have been staunch Republicans, um, do you think they will that there is any message that would change their mind, whether it's to support you know Republican alternatives to Trump? Or to vote Democratic, or do you think they're just uh, they're going? This is a lifelong commitment for them now for the rest of their lives. Starting with you, Bill. Again, they're fighting the last war, and they're not going to change. Uh, two comparisons I would note would be kind of similar to the, uh, and it's very funny. Uh, well, not so funny, but Jim Jones and drinking the Kool Aid. That would be one example. The other example is that uh, in Taiwan. There was, there was actually a spiritual cult leader, a, a woman by the name of Tang Hai. And I remember even some of the Vietnamese Americans over here who at one time, it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like uh, Reverend Moon of South Korea. And Reverend Moon, in all seriousness, he's actually, I would not consider him along the lines of a cult, uh, the same way that this uh, Taiwanese spiritual leader Tang Hai was. But the manifestations of Donald Trump basically is the, the worst strains of the Tea Party elements as it's developed over the last 15 years. And as Tao mentioned, uh, this manifestation is easy for the older Vietnamese Americans to grasp. It's easy when you can crawl back into your shell and just accept the, the same way that um, you know, the, the Christian right uh, accepts these anti-science notions. And so I I don't think it's, um, I don't think they're salvageable, but that doesn't mean we can't fight in order to defend, right? Because to me, if we don't speak up, then then we ourselves have failed. So we have to speak up and and, and continue speaking out against it because, uh, you know, to me, you got to be on the right side of history. That's the, that's a simple, simple message for me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I think for, for me, the question is, you know, um, is, is, a, is an education piece on teaching the older Vietnamese Americans on how, what it is to be a good American, you know, and to Dr. Ha's point, um, you know, there is, there is this like big, um, we have to be grateful to be here and I'm proud to be an American and that to be an American means to be Republican in their mind. And this whole patriotism, this, to me, that's a false narrative. I'm a, I'm a proud Democrat and I am proud to be an American and I am, you know, I am here for dissent. Like I'm here to like fight back. And that is what is being a good American about, like, you know, being part of the marketplace of ideas and, you know, but this is very, um, a little bit sophisticated um, conversation you, to teach our um, the elders in the Vietnamese community is to sort of say, you know, we we know that you have this great um, gratitude to be here, but also it's okay to be. We 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 fled communism where so that we can have dissent, so that we have dissidents, you know, and we can, and that means we are proud patriots and we're exercising our freedom and liberty. You have to kind of say it in that kind of language, um, and I think once especially in the queer community, you know, to, to really highlight how harmful the Trump administration has been and continues to be to, against LGBTQ rights. Um, I want to give all my um, queer and trans Vietnamese uh, friends and family across the internets the permission to go ahead and tell your parents and say, like, make the choice and say, you know, when you vote for Trump, you are voting to hurt me. And, 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 and the one thing the message that may break through in, in all the noise of all this, you know, deification of Trump, which is the, especially what Valky was mentioning, um, is to sort of like bring it back to family and bring it back. I mean, the family is so important in, in Vietnamese culture. And, and I, I would say that is the message, you know, that you could try to uh, say, you know, if you're not queer and then or trans, then you, so whatever issue, you know, he's hurting the environment, he's immigrants, you know, all there's so many issues. So that's just make it very personal. So I mentioned at the top of the show, 14% of Vietnamese American voters are undecided and uh, we're 40% are pretty strong, you know, support for President Trump. Do progressives focus on the 14% undecided or try to change the hearts and minds of some of the 40%? Um, you know, with, and also the, the last question that I had uh, is, you know, what's at, what's at stake for you in this election which I would imagine would be the reason why we all have to be active in talking to folks to go vote anyway, because we do feel like there is something at stake. Uh, Dr. Ha. Well, you know, the ones that are um, have a, a stronghold with, with Trump, I, I don't think that a conversation will help. Um, the other thing is that uh, first generation, second generation Vietnamese families don't have conversations in the first place. You'll hear that very commonly. I was fortunate. I talked to my parents growing up, but that was not the norm. And so to have, to be able to convince somebody to change like a hard line, you have to be able to have very in-depth conversations. And that doesn't even happen in the first place. So that's going to be very hard. And so do we go towards the undecided? Absolutely. Um, if I, if there's anything, you know, getting someone to maybe I've, I've seen it where they won't. Okay, fine. I won't vote for Trump. I'm just not going to vote. Okay. that's (laughs) Okay. Um, and so I've been able to kind of convince some folks like, well, maybe I, I could, I would never vote for a Democrat or a liberal, but fine, you know, Trump is bad in X, Y, Z. So what are the talking points for, for that? Um, and so what is at stake? Uh, not just for me, but what I see as uh, our country, what's at stake? Um, we have a, a, a broken um, healthcare system. So the Affordable Care Act is at stake. Um, as Balki mentioned earlier, are there ways to improve it? Um, surely, but you know, we don't, we don't see the, the plan uh, of replacement, right? And so we're going to gut it and then what's going to happen, which is interesting because uh, there are many, many Vietnamese Americans that I know in Texas who uh, benefit from the Affordable Care Act. Um, the widening inequality that we are going to see, not even if COVID is, um, is uh, managed, uh, we still have issues of uh, an increasing gap between wealth and, and, and poor. And um, and so how do we bridge that, right, with policies? 
with policies, um, voting rights. I mean, there's so much voter suppression. So uh, Obama said it last night in his speech, you know, we don't vote for this one thing and then think that things going to be perfect the next day. We have to keep voting and voting. And it's not just the presidential election. It's our Senate races, our local representatives, our state representatives, ballot initiatives. And so for the Vietnamese American community, um, talking about voting it cannot just be simplified to this presidential election and Trump. It has to continue its force um, if we want to see the progressive changes that we are asking for in our um, in our society. So, um, yeah, and you know, trying to convince folks that Marxism is not going to happen here—that that's an easy. That you know, like really, that is not going to happen. And last comment is if um, Trump is you know so anti-China uh, and he's anti-communism, I've asked Trump supporters, well, why is he so friendly with Putin? Uh, yeah. Um, well, plus one to everything what Dr. Ha said. But um, on top of that, uh, I think. I would actually go for the undecideds and go for them hard because um, I actually do a lot of phone banking, as I mentioned earlier. And I I was very surprised at how many undecided voters there are in Pennsylvania that are Vietnamese. I mean, if you want to make a dent of any kind, if you are, you know, a gung-ho Democrat and you want to go for it, you know, go back to blue um, PA or, you know, Viet for Biden or just do it. It's every Thursday from, you know, that's today, you know, every Thursday. And so they call you. Um, But in speaking to those Vietnamese Americans, it's a lot of times they're undecided, but then it's really because their parents are so like for Trump, but then I, I, I give them permission to vote for Biden, you know, and I say, why don't you just go now? And I, here's your polling place and get that done. Um, As far as like trying to convince the, the diehard Trumpers, I think it's, you know, I, I, I'm more of a, you know, try, just keep trying um, in, in the vein of, you know, just tell them your personal story and why, why it matters to you that you're voting for a Democrat. Um, if it's uh, as something as simple as education, you know, like maybe tie it to education. What has Betty, Betty, Betsy, Betsy DeVos done, you know, and, and what, what, are, what about all this student loan debt? And what about, you know, just break it down into something very real and tangible and say, this is the reason why I vote, I'm voting for Biden. He's going to have free um, college and all this. He has all these plans. And um, I was a Warren Democrat. I am still a Warren Democrat and I'm all about big structural change. We are, we need this. We need to have uplift our middle class again. And, and the Vietnamese Americans, the majority are middle class. Um, and so this will sp- those are the issues that matter to most of them. And then also to Dr. Ha's point, realize that voting is a habit and voting is part of being a good American and voting is like a duty. And like you fled communism, which is just one party rule. Like, and, and they, this is kind of a, not really democracy when they say they're, I don't know. Anyways, like it just kind of do that talking point back to them and say like, you know, if you are such a, if you're such a you know, proponent for freedom and liberty and justice and democracy, you need to vote. That is your responsibility. It's not just a right to vote. People are actively getting their rights taken away to vote and you have the right to vote and you're wasting it. You're not using your voice. Why don't you use your voice? You know, try, I come big, you know, why, why, you know, like what, what's, what's wrong with you if you're not voting, you know, like, so, you know, just kind of, it's a motivational thing and this, you know, it, it may fall on deaf ears, but for me, what's at stake in this election is just the norm normalcy of democracy democracy can die and it is dying you know and so like we need this to happen and we need to motivate our our friends uh, especially in pennsylvania especially in texas and georgia um these big swing states uh they can definitely make or break the election and you know frankly over the years you had extremely low uh, voter participation amongst the Vietnamese American communities across America, and the biggest, uh, you know, I, the, the biggest blame resides in the parents who discourage their children from being actively involved. Which is exactly what you you know, you come over here, you fled tyranny, and yet you're telling people to not get involved. So I think in this case you've got to make the case to the undecided, but also you've got to make the case to those who actually have never participated, right? Because you have to give them the choice between an educated decision versus an emotional decision. And that's, you know, and I think that's where the young uh, people nowadays are, are doing such a good job to me, 
because they're willing to take the risk and also show the fact that, hey, you know what? You know, my parents came over here, they worked hard and so forth, but I'm, I'm, I'm making this case. I'm getting more involved because I too want a, a hand in the betterment of society, right? And that's why I think you've just got to make the case. And it's funny because as a Republican, you know, having been so involved, I can see, you know, I'm trying to debunk some of these narratives that all of you are talking about. Because, first of all, it's disingenuous, they're outright lies, and it's destructive. And I think the young folks want to have the chance to make decisions based on analyzing both sides and then make it on themselves. So that right there is, is a winning message. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm all for you all being involved in such a, you know, in, in such an engaged manner. And you just have to kind of take that into the states, into the communities where there's still so much Trump support. <laughs> we uh, have a question or some, yeah, someone asked a question on our, our YouTube chat uh, about why if, if people are so supportive of Donald Trump as a bulwark against communism, um, they ask, why didn't he fight in the Vietnam War against communism when he had a chance? So Juicy, maybe use that in your next uh, phone banking. <laughs> um, but, another, but another question, I think this is for all of you, uh, and this is the person that writes, I agree with Michelle's comments that the narrative of Vietnamese Americans has been written and exploited by others. Are there good resources we can share with our families about Vietnamese American history and treatment in the United States? Any websites or books or, or podcasts or anything that you would you would recommend uh, that that uh, they share? Um, anyone? We can. Uh, there are several um, uh, current um, uh, things that are being put together. Things that are being written currently. Um, I know that Pivot has a, a database. There's also another group called Vietnamese uh, Solidarity Action Network. Um, and so for your audience, we could share uh, those links and share the documents and um, some podcasts. You know, there's there's the I don't have the Rolodex like organized in my head right now, but I know the organizations and the groups that put them out. Um, uh, and, and, you know, reading uh, an alternative version about Vietnamese American life and the Vietnam War um, requires that we read it from non-Western uh, uh, researchers and authors. Um, and so, you know, that, that's something that we, I feel like our community is coming of age. Um, uh, you know, I'll just throw a pitch out there because the question was asked, um, the, uh, film that I, uh, worked on called Sea Drift. It's, um, it, it, it's a historical look at Vietnamese refugees in Texas in, in 1970, in the 1970s and their um, confrontation with the KKK and racial tensions in a very small fishing town. And, um, you know, I was only aware of it because I lived there and I grew up there and I'd heard some of the things. Uh, but when I went to graduate school, there was nothing. It was it was not in the books and it wasn't in the history anywhere. And so I'd written about it. And fortunately, the director, Tim Sai, made it into a film, which is fantastic. I recommend the film way more than reading what I wrote. <laughs> um, but, you know, those kinds of things, I, I, I feel like if I had not explored that, you know, that would have been a lost story. So I want to encourage other um, non-white individuals, um, uh, folks, minoritized populations to, um, if we don't see a story that we know, we, we are the ones that have to write it. And so, you know, Bauke's article on CNN coming from a Vietnamese American was, is, is a powerful message. And so just to say, we will, we can share some of those links for, for your audience. And uh, Juicy did share a couple of them. Juicy, why don't you say it, the links you, you've just shared uh, so that the viewers can hear it. Sure. Um, so a, a great project of Pivot, which um, is a progressive Vietnamese organization, is vietfactcheck.org. So it's just all one word, Viet Fact 
factcheck.org. Um, that's a it's a it's it's a great source for dispelling sort of all the stories and the things you hear, uh, especially we talked about on YouTube, where people just kind of like the Alex Joneses of the world of the Vietnamese world, just speaking in Vietnamese and kind of spewing lies and just misinformation. Um, there's a whole bunch of uh, ways to combat that and talk about, you know, what's, what's the real reality, what's truth. And then you also mentioned, uh, the question asks about um, other resources. I'm, uh, I'm a part of Chopsticks Alley here in um, the Bay Area in San Jose. Chopsticksalleyart.org um, is a great resource as in, in San Jose area, um, as far as just kind of arts programs and just kind of um, uplifting Southeast Asian uh, arts and culture. And I actually have a queer thoughts on uh, Chopsticks Alley live stream um, that happens on I think the second Thursdays of the month. Um, so, you know, I also have my podcast, Juicy Thoughts, of course, T-H-O-T-S, those thoughts are, it's, a, it's an urban word, you can look it up. Um, but, you know, just uh, just about my ideas, I do want to also um, elevate uh, Dr. Ha's comment about, like, if you are seeing a story, it's all about our stories and sharing our stories. Because, like, there was no Vietnamese-American studies growing up when I was in, like, high school. And, and actually, I feel like I'm still learning. Uh, this is part of my political awakening and my identity building is just kind of what it means to be Vietnamese-American in here in 2020. Um, I encourage you to join, you know, organizations that uplift uh, identity-based organizations like, you know, if you're a lawyer, Vietnamese Lawyer Bar Association, um, you know, I'm sure there's others, or make one, because if you don't have one, make it, because there's not many of us, and I'm sure there's other people who would like to be involved, just like you. Well, um, you all, and I tell you this, this is where I'm most impressed, because I do actually rely on Pivot and API Vote, just because I've known, obviously, some of your members over the years. I think it's been a great um, uh, resource, especially when it comes to, because why? Because I think the, the, um, the resources are intellectually based and not, you know, just basically a link to some wild, crazy conspiracy theory, right? So I, at the end of the day, I still think that that's exactly how I would pursue it. And that is to go through these, these sites as resources. And not only that, but it highlights the fact that, uh, and I always like to reinforce this because, again, to me, having a uh, having formed a view after reaching out and looking at different uh, uh, resources actually is the only way we can make informed decisions. How do we actually explain that to these folks who already are inclined? That's a difficulty. But but so no, I've I've actually been. And I'm trying to think. There are a number of Vietnamese intellectuals who, you know, in Ca in California, who are anti-Trump, and uh, some of my parents' friends, especially in Orange County and so forth. These are the folks who have been part of the last administration of South Vietnam, for instance. Many of them are anti-Trump. Um, so I'm trying to think of how to access their works. If it's in English, then you're going to have a more limited supply, right? Because so much of that is so focused on Vietnam, the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War, the Vietnam War. Uh, so, so I, I just think that, uh, and, and actually there is, a, over, over in the West Coast, the interpreter, I think they've done a good job at also trying to aggregate information and then also helping to, uh, in a bilingual way, to propagate you know, and correct certain things. So I, I, I become fans of the interpreter and what they do, because I think to some degree, it kind of overlaps what uh, Juicy mentioned, which is what Pivot's doing already, you know? So this is, this is such a beautiful homegrown um, resource that you all are doing. And so every time, you know, I, I need something, I kind of reach out to a number of you all, whether it's not you directly, but in the past, it hasn't been you all directly, but, but it's great to have, yeah. We can also compile everybody's lists, and uh, if you reach out to us at uh, commonwealthclub.org slash MMS, John can, can respond to you. Um, and uh, I think the most important thing out of our talk really is, is to continue the communication, definitely get out the vote, uh, share your personal stories. So all of you out there, do vote, but also support our panelists today. Um, do read Bauke's opinions piece on CNN. If you just look up, type in Bauke, B-A-O-K-Y, last name Vu, V-U, uh, CNN, it'll pop up. 
definitely check out the film, Sea Drift Film, um, by Dr. Taoha, who's, who's involved in it. And take a listen to Juicy Lou on uh, Juicy Thoughts, T-H-O-T-S. <laughs> and and then last plug, of course, you know, uh, we the here, the Commonwealth Club and the programs that we do here are super diverse and a nonpartisan platform to, to be able to have these discussions. I want to thank our panel Thank you so much, Bauke, Dr. Talha, and Juicy for joining us for this very important conversation. Less than two weeks away. Less than two weeks away. Um, and then thank you for joining us. And on that final plug, the Commonwealth Club, uh, the, the platform for these important discussions, tomorrow night, Friday night, we will be live with Joshua Wong, a pro-democracy activist, youth activist from Hong Kong. Um, if some of you are following the news, that movement is now big in Thailand. And so we'll discuss China and we'll discuss democracy with Joshua tomorrow night. So I hope you'll join us. Last words, I'll leave it up to John. Just a big thanks to everybody and uh, have a good and safe rest of your week. And again, always find out more of Michelle Miao show programs at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. Thanks again. <laughs>